Let us pray. Almighty and most gracious Lord, grant to us Your Spirit as we have already prayed this day. Fill us with that very Spirit to renew and inspire our hearts and our minds that we would ever be changed by Your Word, that we would ever be built up by Your Word, that we would ever walk upon this foundation that You have built for us in Christ. Plant this Word this day deep within our hearts and enable us to follow You more deeply, more closely, more fully in every aspect of our lives. And let Your love overflow through us to the world around that You would use us to reap a harvest in this world. That You would work through us and send us forth into our daily lives. And that those lives would make You known. And we ask this all through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I always find it a strange juxtaposition when I read a gospel lesson. And I end it with the gospel of our Lord right after Jesus says something like, Truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town that rejects His disciples and the message that they bring. It's always weird to be reminded that there are consequences to the gospel. There are changes that are expected that are brought into our lives by hearing the gospel. That the gospel is the free forgiveness of God in Christ Himself. And yet, if we reject that, if we refuse to receive that forgiveness, refuse to hear that forgiveness, there is judgment to follow. And when that gospel is thrown away and cast aside by someone, then they are moving further and further away from God. They are cutting themselves off and there will be judgment in the end if they do not return, if they do not turn back from that path. But we have to ask ourselves, what is this gospel that we are carrying forth? Where does it come from? Why is there a gospel? Why does God offer forgiveness for us? And what does He want us to do with that forgiveness in our lives? What is to happen once we receive forgiveness? Where are we to go? What are we to do? All this flows together, I think, throughout the text we've heard this morning. From Exodus, from the Psalms, from the Gospel, from the Epistle of St. Paul to the Romans. All of these point us toward the reality of what God has done for us. And in all that God has done for us, He now calls us to be His people, to walk this path upon the foundation that He creates. He calls us forward to follow Him in everything because He has made a foundation and called us to walk upon that foundation this day. And so the first thing that I want us to hear through our lessons today is the foundation of that call that God has given to us. Here in here in. St. Matthew, we hear that foundation immediately. Jesus is going throughout the villages. He's healing people. He's proclaiming the gospel. And when He looks at the crowds, He has compassion. 
He sees their suffering. He sees their pain. And He has compassion toward them. That becomes the foundation of all that God does, this compassion toward His people. He sees that they are like sheep without a shepherd, that they are harassed and helpless. But what is this compassion that Jesus is showing toward His people? What does this compassion mean? What does it mean for us? This compassion can be translated sometimes as sympathy or pity. And of course, that kind of emotion is sympathy or pity toward another person. But here, this particular word, while it has that meaning of compassion, sympathy, and pity, it's a picture of something flowing out of the very depths of your being. It's a very physical reaction to the suffering that you see around you. It's a gut reaction to these people, flowing out of your guts themselves. It's a deep emotional response not flowing from your heart. For the ancient world, deep emotional responses like compassion came from the center of your being, from your very intestines. For that was the center. That was the center of your physical body. And out of that center came this deep-seated emotional response. So deep within your physical being that it can't come from your heart, but from your guts. And there's a sense of pain and suffering that you take on to yourself that you sense within in light of seeing another person suffering. Seeing their struggle, seeing their pain draws forth pain within yourself and a desire to then step forward and help that person. But one unique thing about this particular word compassion in the Greek, according to Chad Bird, is that it's only ever applied to Jesus or to God Himself, or to Christ characters, to the Christ figure in Jesus' parables. It becomes a divine word, a divine response, a divine reaction to the pain and the suffering in this world. It never gets applied to ordinary people. It never speaks of John or Peter or Paul or James having compassion. This word is utterly in the Bible focused upon Jesus and His response It's focused on the Christ characters or the God characters, the Father figures that He places in His parables. They are the ones who have compassion because they represent Him and His stories. And it makes sense that this deep-seated response is something that we humans can't really give. That it's something that only God Himself can give and that it is found to be applied upon Jesus as He gives out His call to humanity. That He is the foundation in His response to our need. He is the God-man who has entered into our world of suffering. He is the one who entered into human life and has undergone all trials and all temptations. He knows what it is to be tempted. He is the one who can singularly respond with this type of deep-seated emotional response of compassion. And it is out of that sense of compassion that God responds to us, that He comes down, that He sends Jesus into this world. It is out of that very compassion that we hear of what God did in the book of Exodus. Throughout the book of Exodus, God is working to redeem and save His people. We heard there in Exodus 19, as the people were beginning to gather near Sinai, the Moses went up to Him and the Lord said, You shall call to the house of Jacob and say to them, 
You have seen what I did to Egypt. That I bore you on eagle's wings and brought you to Myself. He desires for His people to become a treasured possession before Him. And so He brings them out of the land of Egypt, out of that place of separation, out of that place of slavery. And that flows out of His compassion that He has for His people. A desire to bring them out of the place of suffering, out of the place of slavery, out of the place of pain. And bring them to Himself. And in all the calls that God places upon His people, all the callings that Jesus places upon us, it flows always foundationally out of compassion towards His people. His compassion is ever before Him when it comes to His people, such that it leads Him to respond to their needs. It leads Him to continually call Israel back to Himself no matter how wayward they became. That even when He came down in judgment against them, He was still calling to them and saying, I will send a Redeemer. I will bring you to Myself and redeem you from all of your sins and bring you out of the places of exile that I have driven you. For He desires to bring them to Himself and to free them, not just remove them from slavery, but to truly free them from that slavery. For He says here in Exodus, Now, if you will indeed hear My voice and keep My covenant, you shall be My treasured possession among all peoples. And you shall be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. He redeems His people in order that they would be truly redeemed. That they would not turn back to that slavery that they had in Egypt, but that they would continually look to Him as their Savior. That they would look to Him and the compassion He showed toward them. And respond by following Him, but respond by continually hearing His voice poured out before them. He desires them to respond to His call because His call is founded upon His compassion, upon His desire to restore, His desire to reconcile, His desire to heal. And we see that throughout our Gospels. We see that throughout Scripture as God yearns to bring healing to His people. Because we are people who are like sheep without a shepherd. We are tossed to and fro by our sinful desires. We are tossed to and fro by the spirits of this world who are in rebellion against God. Who use our flesh to tempt us more deeply away from God. But Jesus has compassion on us when He looks upon our struggles. And He tells His disciples to then pray. Because the harvest is plentiful. There are those who are ready to be saved. There are those who are ready to respond. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. So pray earnestly to the Lord to send people into that harvest. To send out laborers to make known the kingdom of God. To make known the gospel of our Lord. To bring healing and forgiveness to all these people who are in desperate need of that. And in all of this call that Jesus is placing upon His disciples and upon us today, calling us out into this world that is founded purely upon the compassion of God the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit toward this world they have made, this world that God has made, He then empowers His disciples for the call. He gives them a particular call in this moment to be the laborers, 
If you ignore the chapter breaks like we did today and just read from the end of chapter 9 directly into chapter 10, he tells them, pray earnestly for the Lord to send out laborers. And then he immediately calls his 12 disciples and gives them authority. He gives them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out. He gives them authority over diseases and afflictions. And in verse 5, he sends them out. Jesus empowers His disciples to answer this call to go out into the harvest. We don't know how long has passed between that teaching of Jesus to pray earnestly and Him calling His disciples to Himself to give them that authority and send them out. It could have been immediately. He could have just turned and said, pray earnestly. And then He said, alright guys, now go out and do it. It could have been days or weeks. We don't know because Matthew doesn't give us a clue, but they are right next to each other. If you're reading this along in a book without any markings, you would just immediately hear Jesus say, pray earnestly for the laborers to go out that the Lord would send them. And then what does the Lord do? He sends out laborers. He makes the twelve His primary laborers and sends them forward. He commands them to pray for for these laborers to go out by the calling of the Lord. And He sends out these laborers. And He sends them out on a particular mission. He sends them out to the house of Israel in particular here in this time. In this moment in Jesus' ministry, He is focused on Israel, bringing the gospel, bringing the kingdom, bringing healing from diseases and afflictions to the people of Israel. He tells them in this particular moment, don't go to the Gentiles, don't go to the Samaritans, but focus on Israel. Proclaim the kingdom is at hand and heal the sick, raise the dead. Cleanse leopards, cast out demons. He gives them this spectacular ministry to go out and become an extension of the work He is already doing. Those are the very things Jesus has been doing throughout His ministry. Healing the sick, raising the dead, cleansing leopards, casting out demons. And He extends His authority upon His disciples. That Jesus has authority over all these things because He is God Himself in the flesh. The Messiah come to earth to redeem the people of this world. And thus He has the authority to do these things. Every time a demon-possessed person encountered Jesus, He cried out, We have nothing to do with you, O Son of God. They recognized Jesus' authority immediately. But now Jesus takes that authority that He has and begins investing it in His disciples to go out and extend His ministry throughout the land of Israel here. He sends them forth without any money. He sends them forth with nothing on them for the journey. They don't are not to go forward with carrying extra clothes, no extra staff, no extra tunics, no extra sandals. They're to go as they are immediately, for the time is at hand. The kingdom is at hand in Jesus' ministry. And so in this particular moment, He just sends them out as they are. But then he does say the laborer deserves his food. They will go out and minister without requiring payment from the people beforehand. But Jesus reminds them that they are worthy of being given food. That they should be welcomed into these towns. That there should be a reception from the people that they minister to. Of those people desiring to help. Desiring to care for the disciples in the work that they are doing. And so while they go out immediately without anything on them, 
They, are, they can receive from those people, but they cannot require, is what he is saying. Don't go out and make your ministry to these towns and these people contingent on them giving you food. Go out and send forth your peace into the house that you go to. Greet that house. Bless that house. And if that house receives you, if that, those people receive you, then settle into that home and do your work of ministry in that home. Receive from them whatever they give. And when it is time, move forward. But if they don't receive you, then shake off your dust and leave that town. He empowers them to carry forth the gospel. He also empowers them to walk away from those who would reject that gospel. All of this is flowing out of Jesus' compassion for the world. That He will call forth His people to go out and serve Him. And again, over in Exodus, we hear something of a similar thing. As God says, you will be my treasured possession as you obey my voice and receive my covenant. You will be my royal priesthood, my kingdom of priests on this world, in this planet, on this place where I am placing you. The people all respond it's like, we will do what you call us to do. We will hear your voice. We will listen to you. We will obey you. The people respond properly to who Jesus is, to who Yahweh is, to what He has done in the Old Testament. He redeems them from Egypt, brings them out of slavery. He says, you will become my treasure possession as you obey my voice. And the people say, we will do what you have called us to do. It's a glorious response, short-sighted in the long run, because as soon as God does come down, they cry out and be like, we don't want to talk to you, God. We don't want to hear your voice. Talk to Moses and then... He can bring to us your words. They become fearful of this very God who had had compassion upon them when they see Him in His glory because they are not prepared yet for the fullness of God's glory to be revealed to them. And so they begin to act with inappropriate fear toward this God, not with reverence, not with humility before Him, but a terror of who this God is. But He will work through Moses to empower them to become the kind of people He wants them to be. Not all of them become the people that God desires them to be. For even Matthew recognizes there is a traitor in the midst of the disciples. Not all of Israel perseveres in being Israel. Not all of Israel will receive the empowerment that God gives to His people, that Jesus gives to His disciples, and walk in that empowerment. Because that's what's to happen after we have been empowered by Jesus Himself, by God working in us, bringing His redemption to us. We are then called to follow. We follow the call that God places upon us. And we don't get to that part in the Gospel of Matthew for the disciples. For they do go out and they accomplish what God has called them to do. But I think we get the hints of that in the book of Romans. We get the hints of what it looks like to follow Jesus, to follow His calling into this world, to follow His calling into making known His kingdom. Paul says in chapter 5, verse 1, We have been justified by faith. We have peace with God. We've obtained access into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We rejoice in hope of the glory of God. 
Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Paul paints a picture of following the call of hearing Jesus' compassion toward us. Receiving that compassion and then hearing His call to go forth into this world, Paul says we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. We rejoice in God now revealing His glory to us. For His glory is tied to who Jesus is. We see the fullness of God's glory tied to the compassion of Jesus. We see the compassion of the Father revealed in the compassion of Jesus. And thus we see the glory of God tied to the work of Jesus Himself. And because we see that, we rejoice in hope of the glory of God coming to us. But even more, we rejoice in the sufferings that will come into our lives because we begin cutting ourselves off from that slavery that once controlled us. As God has removed us from that slavery, we now live and walk in a life of rejecting that slavery that God took us from. And that will create suffering, not only in us, but in our relationships. As we walk away from the things that we used to do, the way we used to be, we will lose relations. We will be cast into suffering. But that suffering that we will endure as we resist temptation within ourselves, as we resist the old man, and as we may even suffer losses of relations with others because we aren't who we used to be, because of the change of the compassion of Jesus in our lives, that suffering will produce endurance. We will be given the ability to endure, to continue pursuing this path of following that call of making known the kingdom of God. And as we walk in that suffering and that endurance, it produces character, it hardens us, it strengthens us, it builds us up, it shapes us more and more to become what God has desired us to be. That He has called us to live in His compassion, to live in His forgiveness, to live in the work of Christ, which will lead to suffering that produces endurance. And that suffering and endurance will produce character, a shaping of our lives that will continue to look to Christ. And in that character being produced, that sharpness of understanding of who and what Jesus has done for us, it will produce hope. It will produce faith. It will produce a deeper trust in what Christ has done for us. Because God's love has been poured into us by the Holy Spirit that's been given to us. You see, our following of this call to go out into the world, to go out and struggle and to suffer, to go out and endure, to go out and become stronger in our character and to cling to hope flows out of the compassion that God gives to us in Jesus Christ, that He makes known to us deeply by pouring His Holy Spirit into our hearts. And here we come back to the very foundation once more of what God has done for us in His compassion. For while we were weak, Christ died for the ungodly. God shows us His love in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still enslaved to the enemies of God and reveling in being enslaved to the enemies of God, Christ died for us. Christ reveals His ultimate compassion toward these crowds by dying for their sins, by dying for our sins, We see His compassion looking upon the crowds, not only applying to them, but even applying to us this day. That He 
has a deep-seated emotional response of pain toward us, of pity toward us. And that drives him to then take upon himself that which is causing us our ultimate suffering, our sinfulness, the very part of our nature, the part of what we are in this broken world that drives us from God, that drives us into slavery, that drives us out into the wilderness as sheep without a shepherd. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. Now that we are reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. That we are called to follow Jesus. When we hear Him calling to go out into this world for there is a harvest, we follow that call by responding to that foundational aspect of Jesus' compassion by receiving His healing by being changed by His healing. And thus we become empowered to then go out and follow because He gives us His Spirit. He pours that love and compassion into us and now He will work through us in every aspect of our daily lives, of all of our vocations as fathers and mothers, sons and daughters, workers and co-workers, employers, employees, brothers and sisters as family. In friendships, all of these places of vocation are callings. And there are places where that call of reaping a harvest and being the laborer in the field are being fulfilled. For there, the compassion of Jesus flows out of us to those around us, those that God has placed us in the midst of. And He gives us our unique callings. He gives us our particular place to serve Him. And thus, out of that love that has been poured upon us by the Spirit, that love will go out of us that enables us to more and more fully follow this call of making known the kingdom, of proclaiming the work of Christ, of bringing about healing as people turn from that which is breaking them. As people turn from the sins in their lives, they will discover deeper and deeper and deeper healing in their lives because they will begin receiving more and more that compassion that deep-seated desire to bring new life and healing to another that Jesus has for us. So may we follow this call because we have come to rest on that foundation of the call, that we have come to rest upon the compassion of Jesus for us. May we rest and thus, in resting, go forth with that very love that has been given to us. In the name of the Father and the Son, in the Holy Spirit. Amen.